Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Welcome to a new series that we're starting today. And um, as you can see, we're in First Timothy. And the series topic is God's Helping Household. And to some degree, as an, an, an introduction, kind of going to give introduction to the house outside the front door. So if I could ask you to turn to First Timothy chapter one as you're turning in the back of the Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of the Lord Jesus, we are a temple. We're a temple not constructed with physical hands, but we are a temple of living stones. Built up together, we make up a spiritual house. Would you please inform our understanding today with regards to this great and deep spiritual truth? For Jesus' sake. Amen. So, 1 Timothy 3. I'm only going to read the first three verses. I'll read it from the ESV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, you probably heard, and I'm hoping that you can be able to help me, about famous duos over the years, right? Famous two-member teams. So I'm gonna I'm say it off. Some of you will get this, some of you won't. How many of you heard of Walkerman? Alright, the Walkerman's Torvillan. Indeed. Alright, the Bonnian. Alright, right, the front row's gonna go. How about this one? Slyland's. Now, as far as this book is concerned, 
Um, these two won't actually be spending time together. Their relationship, their relationship at this point is, is, is from a distance, is at a distance. And we can't be completely sure, but it seems that Paul is in a place called Macedonia, which is a Roman province, and it's north of Greece. And Timothy is here, where? Timothy is here in a city called Ephesus. And the, the time is about 64 AD. Now first of all, who is this Paul? If you look down at your manuscript, 1 Timothy 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now this guy, Paul, is not normal. In the sense that he falls into a very unique category. He's, he's a unique type of individual. He among only a few others in history is an apostle. Which by definition is one who is sent out. And this one who is sent out by Jesus, for Jesus, personally. He, as well as the other New Testament apostles, share a unique ministry. There is no one like them today. And there never will be anyone like them. No matter how hard individuals may try, no matter how sincere they may be, no more apostles like these. These guys wrote scripture. Nobody can do that today, amen? And notice how this came about, the second part of verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, as we said, by command of God, and God who is our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice who Paul received his instructions and marching orders from. See, from here, we see that Paul has been commissioned by the Trinity, or at least two of the members of the Godhead, right? And notice, he isn't just an apostle, but one who has been commissioned by God our Saviour, which is a reference back to the Old Testament. God who saved his people, remember, out of Egypt when they were in bondage and in slavery under an evil dictator called Pharaoh. God the Saviour. And how many of you know, in, in the times in which we live, there are individuals who are still in that place of bondage, still under a, 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 a despot of a dictator called the devil. And God is still saving people in the same way he saved his people out of Egypt and delivered them. God is the Saviour. And some of us can say even this afternoon that God is our Saviour. Salvation is a big theme in this book, and we'll come back to it in our summary a little bit later. Now, not only is Paul an apostle by command or commission of God, but also of Christ Jesus. As we said a little bit earlier, Jesus commissioned him personally. Remember Acts chapter 9, where Jesus just turned up. Paul whose name was Saul at this point, was terrorizing Christians, right? He was going around, grabbing them, putting them in chains, persecuting them, even to death. Remember Stephen? Um, and Saul is on his way into the city of Damascus to do what Saul always does. And Jesus turns up and punches him. Jesus turns up and knocks him off his horse. <laughs> and he knocks, and, and, and my friends are Saul's on the floor, blind. 
And, the, and Jesus is like, so, so why are you persecuting me? And so turns around and he's like, who are you, Lord? And from that point, when, when Saul gets up off of his back and, and he dusts himself off, when he stands up, he's not the same man that got laid out. And you know that he got his name changed to Paul and he goes into Damascus, a different man, and he goes in. Rather than preaching against Jesus, he's now preaching for Jesus. He's a changed man. And that same Jesus, in the same way, in the way that he changed Paul's life, Saul's life, Paul, Saul became Paul. In the same way that he changed his life, he's still changing lives today, isn't he? Through the gospel, through the good news. How many of you know it was good news for Paul that Jesus, when he decked him, he didn't stay decked. He could have, the Lord could have left him like that, but he didn't. And I think most of us, as mentioned earlier, can testify to the fact that God has done the same in our lives. And, and you may have been like Saul. It's amazing how God still was able to, to transform you. And still, I suspect, in the process of transforming you. Amen. So, <clears throat> Paul is not only an apostle, but he's an apostle by command or commission of God, and also Christ Jesus, who is our hope, it says. God the Father, the Saviour. Christ Jesus, our hope. So God the Father is the source of salvation, and the Lord Jesus is our hope, the one who we look to. And he's the one who will complete our salvation at his appearing. Because we are saved, we're being saved, we're yet to be completely saved. We have been justified, we're being sanctified, we're yet to be totally glorified. I have been delivered, I am being delivered, I'm yet to be completely and totally delivered by God our Saviour and Jesus our hope, the one we look to. To fully redeem us and his coming. Now Paul is writing this stuff, but it seems as if he's getting a little bit overboard with the intro, right? Seeming, seemingly trying to prove himself, trying to justify seemingly his apostleship, as if Timothy didn't know. Now Timothy knew exactly who Paul was because he'd been his companion for and fellow worker for a number of years up until this point. This elaborate introduction isn't so much for Timothy, but it's a clue to those for whom the letter was also intended. See, that is the church, or the churches in this particular region of Ephesus. It's to Timothy, but it's also for the churches. And the people at Timothy will have to confront. And these people, they need to know <laughs> that that this is corrective admonition coming from an apostolic point of view. So it's the Godhead speaking to Paul, who speaks to Timothy, who will need to speak to the church in 68 AD. Now that was then, this is now. And in a sense, some things have changed, and in a sense, nothing has changed. So the Godhead that spoke to Paul is no longer speaking to Timothy in Ephesus because he died 2,000 years ago, right? Yet the Godhead is still speaking through the writings of Paul 
in the 21st century. That is, godly leaders who then speak as Timothy did to the church today. This letter is just as relevant to us here at Calvary Chapel, South London, as it was then in Asia Minor. Okay, well who's the recipient of this letter? Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Can you see the beauty of this very passionate and personal relationship? Paul sees himself not just as a mentor, but as a father to Timothy. How many of you know that we need to see more of that? Men to be like Paul, becoming surrogate fathers. Now we need the women to do the same, right? All the women with the younger women. Titus chapter 2 verse 1 to 5. And notice that Paul is actually legitimizing Timothy's call. Jesus authenticates, we saw earlier, Paul as legit. Therefore, anyone that Paul now authenticates is also legit. Can you see that? Timothy, my true, legitimate, as opposed to illegitimate, son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is enamored with the Father and with the Son. Very often, <coughs> we try to emulate Paul in some sense. And we try to use the same greeting. I mean, you hear people, uh, you know, kind of they're greeting each other. And I might not be like, yeah, from our neighbor peace. And I, I don't know, is that New York or is that West Coast? I don't know, East or West Coast. I don't know where that comes from. But in America, people use that term. My heart, see you later, my peace. Right? They kind of do the, the sign that we used to use back in the day, but in a different way, right? Remember? And, um, and it's like, and what we try to do as Christians, we kind of, you know, we kind of want to be hip and trendy and whatever, right? So we're going to be down, right? So we be like, yeah, yeah, cool, man. See you later, my peace. It's kind of trickled over to the UK. We use that term quite, quite regularly. Well, us as Christians, we, we, kind of, we, we kind of put a twist on it. I think the first person I heard it was Ambassador. And he was like, yeah, man, later on, man, cool. Grace and peace. So it wasn't just peace, it was grace and peace. He was like, yeah, come on, let's kind of quiet. Yeah, I mean. So we kind of began to do it. And what you do is sometimes you see it at the end of maybe one of our emails or one of our texts at the end of one of our modern day letters, right? You see that very often. And we normally structure our letters like this. It's normally the recipient, right? So it's Dear Joe Blogs. And then at the end, after we've got all of our bits and pieces, at the end, then we put the name of the writer, right? So sincerely from Robert Prendergast. And then we attach a blessing to it, right? So, Da, da, da. God bless. God bless you. God bless and keep you. That's how we format our letters, at least, you know what I'm saying, in our Western culture. Here, we see the typical first century greeting with most of the details at the beginning. First of all, you get the writer, which is weird. The writer first, Paul, to the recipient, Timothy, with a blessing, grace, mercy and peace from God, etc. Can you see that? See, this completes Paul's formal opening of this letter and it's very contemporary. 
because it's also a combination of Greek and Hebrew. Grace. Now, Paul substituted the common term that would be used in all the greetings. Festus, Paulus, Festus, Meridius. <laughs> they would say greetings, but Paul substitutes greetings and he puts grace in that place. And he says, grace and peace, which is Hebrew, right? Which is the word shalom, right? So he has, <clears throat> and, and then he has mercy, if you like, for good measure. So he's got grace and mercy, grace and peace, the Hebrew and the Greek working together. And how many of you know, Timothy's going to need grace and he's going to need the peace of God and mercy, especially knowing what he's going to face with regards to what we're going to see in this letter. Paul then concludes, pointing back again to the attributes of God. Remember I said he's enamored of the Father and the Son. It's grace, mercy and peace from God as Father and Jesus as Lord. Paul shows that his relationship to Timothy is only a reflection of the greater relationship that all believers have with God as the archetypal Father, right? The one from whom the Father takes its name. God the Father and Jesus, don't get it twisted, is Lord, the one to be submitted to, the one to be submitted to. Very often people want to happily accept Jesus as, or God as Savior, but then don't want to bow the knee to Him as Lord. But like, yeah, but I've got the salvation thing, yeah, what, 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 what have I got to do to get that? Well, just believe, we'll just put my faith, my faith in Christ, save. But our brother, as you're heading out the door, don't forget that you've also got to bow the knee to him as the Lord. You can't have one without the other. It's like the water and the wet. Both of them come together. I mean, and uh, very often that can be a challenge. And so we're here, hopefully, helping one another. You know, saying to come to that place is not just appreciate Jesus as our Savior. Not just appreciate God is the one who wants to deliver us, and He does, but also recognizing that He's the He's the God of the universe. He's the King of Kings. He's had people um, kind of lost their mind over the last Jubilee weekend over the Queen. I mean, and we saw from what Pastor E shared last week that it's right to honor her. And how many of you know that the Scripture says, "Yeah, we need to honor those who are in authority, but we need to honor the King." of kings differently and um, so there's a call to obedience as well as belief amen now let's look a little further at Timothy and then some more Paul and then we'll conclude Acts chapter 16 verse 1 it says Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, <clears throat> Timothy was probably born here in Lystra, which is modern-day Turkey. And check it, he's mixed race, he's mixed heritage. His mum is what? Is Jewish, and his dad is a Greek. Lovely combination. I mean, bro, 
complexion, a dark hair, in a Cristiano Ronaldo. You feel it, Joseph? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Euro 2012 till right now. <laughs> they don't ask me what else Anyway, some of you know that my wife and I are from different cultures. Um, my parents are Jamaican, both my man and my wife. Her, her dad was from India, place called Madras, southern India, and her mom is Spanish. Her mom's from Jamaica. And someone says, Robert, your kids are confused. <laughs> and I'd say, Jamaican, Indian, Spanish kids. I mean, what a wonderful, I would say, what a wonderful combination. And you see my kids, you know, that's very true. Um, <clears throat> And it's wonderful, yet for Timothy, it definitely has its drawbacks. I suspect just like it has its drawbacks today to be mixed heritage, right? And his mom had very great influence in his life, but the, the lack of information regarding his father, maybe it could be said that Timothy's dad possibly wasn't around. Some suggest that he had actually died. Um, and Timothy, for, possibly for one reason or another, grew up without a dad. And when Timothy was approximately 15 years old, somebody steps into his life. What a blessing. When Timothy's about 15 years old, Paul steps into his life. He steps into his life and he begins to fill a gap that was there, possibly. How many of you know that there are thousands of potential Timothys that are out there? Thousands of young men that need care, help and attention. They need an arm around them. They need forgiveness. They feel like they're failures. They've got no one that cares about them. And we talk about this not when we talk about gang affiliation or so. I'm saying. How many Timothys are there? How many Timothys do we have here? You know what I mean? That need a pool to come alongside them, put their arm around them. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect as a, as a, as a pool. Paul wasn't perfect. I'm saying, for many of us who are parents, we're not perfect. But how many of you know the kids came along anyway? And they come along and you have to respond. And in our imperfection, God helps us. He gives us grace. And you know, the other night at our men's meeting, towards the end, we kind of got a challenge on the fellas, because it's a men's meeting, it's only men in the room, right? We've got olders and we've got youngers, and in between, and we just said, you know what? Let's not leave this room until we're split into two categories. One group that's saying, you know what? I can't even lie, I actually need mentoring, I need help. I'm a young man out here, I'm trying to work with the Lord, but trust me, it's people, it's hard. Right. A couple of the brothers put their hands up, put them on one side of the room, and then Pastor Mark said, all right, who is willing now to take these people like that, brother, who is willing to mentor these? Why are you going to look like a pastor, brother? <laughs> Everybody else sees you as a pastor, we need to get used to it. <laughs> I like it. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Yeah. Those of you that are in community group, you know that, right? Yeah. Amen. So share it, bro. Yo, pass that anyway to your kids, I like. <laughs> 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 That's a 
And I'm not sure that that's the case for many of the younger generation now. But back in the day, everyone that I knew who come from a West Indian or an African background, hey. <coughs> praying grandmother was standard, right? And that praying grandmother would always, always when she see me, she, she'd invite me to church. And like,
in meekness and humility, accepted God's direction. Still, there is a congregation where her voice is often heard. The children are attentive as she teaches them the word. When she sits within her house, when she walks along the way, when she lays them down at night, and when she rises with the day. The godly woman is discreet, not seeking others' praise. She's modest in appearance, and she's modest in her ways. She isn't prone to gossip, but her neighbours know she cares, and any help her hands can give is certain to be theirs. The godly woman isn't loose. She's left that all behind. She's pleasant and she's cheerful, but she has a sober mind. Her beauty isn't just external, but stunning for years to come. Her singular adornment is the good that she has done. When years of faithful labouring have her, her bed and body low, she'll teach the younger women in the way that they should go. A mother's price is priceless. No prince could ever afford. And verily, I say to you, she'll have a rich reward. Godly These ladies had great influence on Timothy, exposing him to the Old Testament scriptures. So, check it, when Paul came through Lystra, which is where he lived right, on his first missionary journey, Timothy at age 16 becomes a Christian. And when he was about 18, as Paul journeyed back from his journey, he went through Lystra and he went to different, and he came back through Lystra. When he came back through Lystra, he hears this good report about Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, start at verse 2, he, that is Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and he, <laughs> and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father, that Timothy's father, was a Greek. See, from this we know that Timothy was genuinely converted. He was definitely genuinely converted. Not because he was circumcised, obviously I'm, I'm trivializing a joke. Not because he was circumcised, but because he was willing to be circumcised. I can say a lot about that, but time doesn't come in. Suffice to say, Paul recognizes a call on Timothy's life, right? A call wants him to join the team at 18. And some of you brothers are here, and that's your age. Some of you ain't even older than that, and you think, what, me? You're involved in ministry? Are you right? I mean, it's not even in the of your, it doesn't even factor into your thinking. Because your culture tells you that you're not a big man. Your culture tells you just play video games and never turn on the time. Don't get a job. Are you right? You don't do that, right? But 18 years old, Paul looked at this young man called Timothy, who was endorsed by everyone around, is what the verse says. And Paul said, you know what, I'll take this young man with me. There's something about Timothy. It was this Paul sense and saw that there was a call on this young man's life. You know what I mean? And we wanna, we, wanna, we wanna make this an environment that is, that's very similar to that. We want to make it uncomfortable for you if you're 18 and 19. 
You know what I mean? The world will be telling you one thing, but when you step through the doors and you come into this community, you go to, and I'm saying community group, wherever it is, we want you to feel the pinch. We want you to come and be like, oh man, another challenge, I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop looking at pornography. Oh, and I'm saying, I've got to stop, and I'm saying, spending all my, um, what's the money that you get when you go to uni? All my EMA, I've got to stop spending all my EMA on trainers, and on clothes, and on baseball caps. That's what we want to create, a lot, fellas, and that's what we want to create. And for those of us who are older, because you know that they say the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. Older men ain't no better. We ain't no better. Now, you know, we need to be close in fellowship so that we can be having one another up. Mark said to me the other day, he goes, Pastor Rob, he's like, how's your Bible reading going? I need to swallow, I need to swallow my tongue. <laughs> oh, I'm like, cheeky asking me how my Lord was. Old. 
When Timothy receives this letter from, from Paul, he's nearly 40 years old, which in that culture would still be categorized as a young man. Hey everybody, I am a young man. By those, by those standards. Now, that's why in chapter 4 of this letter, Paul says, don't let anyone work. Despise your youth. It doesn't mean that he was a youngster. He was a big man. But he was surrounded by much older men, like the now aged Paul, men in the 60s and 70s. Historically, he has been referred to as timid Timothy. But he was far from timid. He was Paul's troubleshooter. One that Paul trusted to sort out difficult problems. Timothy has been with Paul on mission in Phrygia, in Mysia, Galatia, Troas, Berea, Athens, and Thessalonica. Now, I didn't mention it, but which would you say is one of the worst, difficult, and most badly behaved churches in the New Testament? Thank you. Someone said Corinth. Corinth. When the drama kicked off in Corinth, Timothy was there. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1 verse 19 says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, carnal Corinthians, Sylvanus and who? Timothy. I'm backing it hard for Timothy today. Timothy had his issues. Right? He wasn't perfect. Health-wise, he struggled. He had some sort of stomach problem, right? 1 Timothy 5 verse 23. But Timothy was human. Like everyone else, there were times when he was fearful. In 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. That's the classic verse. Everyone reads that and says, Oh, Timothy was the terrified, timid, terror. Timothy, the terror, the, the timid, timid, terror. Wow, that's not even a tongue twister, is it? Timid, tempted. I'm just kidding. See, they read this verse and they say he was timid. Verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testament of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That doesn't sound to me like someone who's timid. A message of, get ready to share, you know what I'm saying? Suffering. I'm in prison. But, fam, don't fear. How do we get from that that he was timid? There, there were times when he needed a little bit of encouragement, just like all of us. That's nothing unusual. That's why Paul constantly said to others things like 1 Corinthians 16. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. I mean, Timothy, we need to give him more credit than he, than he actually gets. Verse 11. So let no one despise him. Not because he's weak and timid. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Timothy's constantly on mission. Can you see that? It's not because Timothy was timid or weak. The issue was his age. It was because he was young. Or younger than these big men that he had to put in check. Older men he had to put in line in the churches. It's not easy going up to an older man and rebuking him. You're supposed to do it as a father, says Paul to Timothy later on. But sometimes we have to step to meet people that are older than us. Me as a pastor, I'm a young man. You get me? You've got people who are, you've got people who are younger than me don't want to hear nothing from me. Let alone me step into someone of my own age or older than me and, and happen to brace them up. 
It's not easy. I can see my boys encouraging him here. You know, these, these brothers in Ephesus, we're going to find out, they were beasts. And I'm quoting Paul. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he says, I fought with beasts in Ephesus. He took that wild animals, literally. These brothers are beasty in Ephesus. A beasty dog. Beastly darling. That's an old joke. Wow. I'm not that young, but it's like my age. I'm saying we're going to see as we go through these four these guys have yet to deal with. So his problem was that he was young. From a contemporary Roman point of view, anyone would have thought he was categorized as a young man. And it's Timothy or Timotheus. His name means one who honors God. Timo, one who honors Theus, God. And that's exactly what he does in his time here, as we will see in Ephesus. Now, we don't have time to look further at Paul as a character. Neither do we have time to do a survey of the six chapters, which is what I wanted to do. But what we will do is end on the two major themes presented in this book. So you've got a heads up as to really the big headlines. The first thing is a false conception of Christian belief and teaching. A false conception of Christian belief and teaching. You've got false teachers, illegitimate leaders, and, and they're wrong and they're strong. In, in chapter, this same chapter we're going to see next week, verse 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, that's good doctrine, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You see, they're wrong, but they're strong with it. You see, and this is what Timothy can have to deal with. The, this unhealthy state of affairs then results in a second major issue, right, which is a wrong type of conduct and morality among the congregations. A wrong type of conduct and morality among the congregations. Because of this false teaching, you've got ungodly behavior, you've got bad Christian witness, and you've got disorder in God's household. Contrast to this we read in 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, verse 14 says, I'm writing these things to you so that, says Paul, and this really is the, the big verse in the Bible. It's the aim, it's not the thing, but it's the aim. He says, if I delay, says Paul, you may know, Timothy, how I ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In here we've got pillars. Right, holding on the building on the inside. Buttresses are on the outside. I'll show you a picture. But they run alongside the outside of the building. Where pure pillars are holding up inside, the buttresses are on the outside. And this is supposed to be the church. Holding up the truth. Raising up Christ. And Paul says, this ain't happening. But, but, but Timothy, you gotta make this happen in the church in Ephesus. One illegitimate leaders. And two, behavior, bad behavior in the household of God that needs attention. So the dangers presented by these problems, um, they arise. The dangers presented by these problems that I just mentioned, they arise from the roots of false teaching. 
which can only be countered by right teaching or right doctrine, which will hopefully turn these churches from dark and deathly to holy and healthy, from a horrible and haunted to a happy and healthy house. Next week we'll attempt to step into the front door. This week we're going to stand on the back side of the front door. Amen. Now I'm not sure if we've got any praise team members in. Maybe we don't. Maybe we'll just keep this in there. Um, shall we pray? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Father, so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Not only did he die for us, but he went on a mission to rescue us. And we see this in the life of Paul. God, you are our Saviour. And as you save Paul, even, even against his own will, Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to see that you are the Saviour. And that we need to, even as Paul did, respond to you. And I pray, Father, that we would help, that you would help us to see that our hope is in Jesus. Jesus Christ is our hope. It's because of the fact that he died that we have any hope. And for those of us who know this and have begun to enjoy this, Father, I pray that you would help us to become that healthy household that you desire. As a father, you want to come into your house and you don't want it to be upside down and in a madness. Father, as we go through this, would you, would you speak to us and would you correct us with regards to bad thinking because of bad teaching and bad behaviour, Lord, as a result of that. Would you please help us, we pray, for the sake of the Lord Jesus and for his glory. more about us visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on facebook and twitter at cc south london join us next time for more of god's truth to transform your reality